listening to Unraveled, the Adverb Podcast. Welcome to Unraveled, the Artwork Podcast. I am Bernard Vienna, independent curator and director of Artwork. In Unraveled, we talk about artworks that shape the present and open perspectives on social and environmental issues. During Manifesta 12 in Palermo, the Taipei Biennale, or recently at Gropiusbau in Berlin, you may have seen videos of men making love literally to a luxurious forest. Touching sensually the plants, sharing intimate moments with ferns and branches. Those videos from Zengbo illustrate another vision of the relationship between humans and the ecosystem. We were pleased to visit him in his Berlin studio, where he spent a six month residency. Zengbo's biography and artistic practice give insight on his experience between the US mainland China and Hong Kong. Experiencing different political environments, he developed a practice oriented towards social engaged art and nearly a decade ago added a main focus on botany and the ecosystem. Through videos, installations and workshops, he developed a non-anthropocentric perspective in which he proposes the notion of interspecies, communities and publics. In this installment, we speak with him about social practices, a post-anthropocentric world, and the meaning of knowledge in both Western and Chinese culture. Due to the high ceiling of the studio and some rare noises, we had to select only some of the best moments of the interview. The rest, as the photographs of the works discussed here, are to be found online www.art-verk.ch So, hello, Bo. For me, your film echoed the recent theories of uh, French philosopher Baptiste Morisot, um, who wrote about a crisis of sensibility. Um, our current ecological crisis and lack of reaction to it will be partly the results of our distance from nature. Recently, there have been numerous exhibitions about ecological topics, and your works were often part of them. If we think about a reconnection with nature, how much will going into a museum help with this matter? I completely agree. I think it's, you know, I, for me, I think as an artist, my contribution to the ecological movement is not on, say, preservation of endangered species or even perhaps changing our behavior in transportation, etc. I think for me, it's about really becoming intimate and loving with plants. I think many people love plants, but perhaps not to the degree that um, some of my projects suggest. I think we often we talk about climate crisis or the ecological crisis still from the point that we want to save ourselves. 
I think what's particularly sad for me is that many things are dying, including humans too in this year, but we have no feelings. I think if we really can live on this planet, we really have to develop the sensibilities that you just said, that we will feel happy when we are making the planet a sort of a vibrant place. And we will all feel that if things start dying. I think I feel it to some degree, but I, I, I actually do want to feel it more strongly. I think we all need to feel it more strongly. Perhaps in these exhibitions, we are only at an early stage for me. I think we are only bringing these topics into the museums. Actually, yeah, I think in my practice, I'm, I'm hoping that we will move quickly to really address the crisis, not so much in the behavior sense, but more in the emotional sense. But you are also doing a series of workshops to connect the public with plants. Could you maybe just develop a bit on that and explain what are you doing with the public? There are different types of workshops. Right? So the one I did in Venice uh, for the public program last year, it's called um, um, Plant Sex Workshop. It's a very short performance lecture. And I asked the audience to practice with the plants, um, but it's very minimal in us, you know, because we're in a theater, we're in a city, we're not in a forest. So it's, 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 it's one way to just get people to start thinking about it. There are other types of workshops. For example, I was in Kyoto last year. I organized a three-day workshop with um, anthropologists, ecologists, local community activists, and young artists to come together to think about the ecological futures of a particular neighborhood in Kyoto. Um, so that workshop is much more intense. And then it's really a time and space for us to, to share what we have learned and also to, through our interactions, to, to collectively develop vision for the future of that neighborhood. And I would say often these workshops are situations for myself to learn. I often feel part of the reason I'm still doing art is because I'm learning a lot from these projects. And so these workshops allow me to learn from other people from the situation and also from very young participants. But that's lead me um, to, to my question about like art and science because um, you are working uh, with um, different scientists mm -hmm. and I, I wonder how far your, your non-anthropocentrist vision, mm -hmm. so to say, um, just dissonates with the with the view and how do you connect with them? 
I'm meeting scientists here in Berlin. You know, they're doing fascinating research. You know, there are many things I never thought um, are, you know, I, I have no idea that these, these topics exist. For example, I just met a scientist this morning again. She's studying plasticity, meaning how plants can react to different environments by changing their bodies. I never thought, I mean, I, you know, I think we all know, for example, if we plant something in a pot, it may be small, but when we plant it into the soil, the plant grows bigger, right? So the plant somehow can react to the environment um, by changing its body. It's something that we don't do, or not to the extent that the plants can do, right? So the conversation between me and her was, of course, for me to learn the research that she has been doing. She's looking into the genetic structures underlying the plasticity. But for me, it's also to think about if this is the case, this is the difference between us and plants, when we think about politics of plants, we really have to pay attention to how they change their bodies to practice their life. Because I think for us, our politics tend to focus on behavior and attitudes. Our politics, of course, also, folk, you know, some aspects of our politics are related to bodies, but in the sense of our bodily presence, but not in changing bodies. So I think um, the conversation we are still continuing will try to imagine how to perceive the politics of plants if they practice their life in a very bodily form. So I think these, these issues are kind of springing from their research. Of course, I bring in a particular perspective to maybe push their thinking or at least push our collective thinking. That, that's lead uh, me to, to um, a French philosopher indeed, like, um, because Bruno Latour has said that humans should be the voice of uh, those other living beings mm -hmm. uh, in order to integrate them uh, to a new form of parliament. Mm -hmm. right? What, what will be for you a, a suitable political system which goes beyond this human exceptionalism and maybe who will respect more the place of those single individuals? I think I was very inspired by the Parliament of Things idea, but I think all of us have the feeling that it's, it's a huge challenge, right? So I think the conversations I'm having with the scientists now is kind of a small step towards that direction. Right? You know, of course, there are many, many steps to fully realize an ideal. You know, how do we perceive plants' uh, way of life? How do we, I think most, even most people today are not thinking about plants politically, right? We, I often say when we look at a tree, we all, assume it's just living there as a biological being. We don't look at a tree immediately thinking the tree has, say, class, gender, sexuality, race, and uh, exploitation, voting, 
rights, etc. All these political terms that, that immediately come up to our mind if we see a human being. So I think these are many things that we need to work on in order to move towards that direction of parliamentary things. I don't have, a, I don't think Latour has an answer either. I think he has this ideal in his mind, but he never really worked out how it's going to be done. I think he had some suggestions. I think no one has been able to really provide a blueprint or a path towards that direction. I think I'm one of, you know, I'm one of many people who are doing experiments, hoping that we will actually move instead of just keeping it as an ideal. Yeah, because like we see, for instance, by Michel Serre, also a form of proposition, right? So a proposal to, uh, to go like in direction to a natural contract, mm -hmm. like uh, expanding from the Rousseauist social contract, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, a perspective which might be maybe more than Latour, more experience oriented. Uh, are you uh, considering like law as a, an important aspect of um, the future for, of ecology? I think because I grew up in China, we still don't, you know, we, we don't have a strong legal tradition and we still don't live our life within sort of legal framework and with legal mindset. So even for me, I don't think about legal issues often. So I think for me, it's also in the conversations I'm having with the scientists, I'm also trying to sense how plants do things maybe very differently from the way we do things. Perhaps there are many ways of politics that we don't even consider. I'm not trying to look into law or rights of nature, um, you know, like expanding the social contract, etc. I think I'm not familiar. And also I feel they are quite within our human paradigm. I'm, I think I'm trying to precisely move away from these paradigms. Another paradigm will be here in Berlin, uh, but also I think in other botanical garden, uh, this taxonomy. Because I was, uh, I was really impressed the first time I, I came here uh, in the botanical garden to see all those species which were like um, ranged from like country to country and from continents to continents. Mm -hmm. um, how, far, how far your projects with, with plants lead to think about our relationships to na nations and immigrations? I've worked with weeds quite intensely, quite intensively for a few years. There's one project, it's not on my website, but I did a small project in Shenzhen, which is next to Hong Kong in southern China. So I look into the weeds in Shenzhen and realize that half of the weeds that we often see if we just take a walk in Shenzhen are originally from the Caribbeans. I mean, originally meaning a few hundred years ago. Of course, you know, there's not really an absolute origin. So now I tell people whenever I go to Shenzhen that uh, you live in a half Caribbean landscape. You just don't know. I, I think it's quite basic now for many of us to know that we, 
we have, you know, as humans, we set up these nation state borders. Of course, plants, animals, and of course, bacteria, but virus now, they, they, they don't care about these borders, right? They, they try to subvert these borders uh, to the extent possible. Of course, I mean, given the virus situation now, the border can be so strongly enforced because it's a human uh, infected virus, but there are many viruses that don't uh, need us to traffic them. So I think it's, 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 it's another manifestation of our arrogance that we can control things on this planet. Um, we have imagined certain ideas and then these ideas have kind of co-opted us. They have hijacked us as humans. And then we're so addicted to these ideas, even though we know they're ridiculous, but we are, but it takes so much effort to overcome our addiction in a way. So I often feel nowadays, other species will force us to change. So this is actually something I'm thinking a lot this year. So you are, you are sometimes still using plants as a metaphor of our own social behavior? I think when I started working with plants, I did use them as metaphors. But as you probably can sense, as I learned more about their life, I'm trying to move away from that. I'm trying to understand their life on their own terms rather than always putting them into our paradigm of ideas, knowledge, uh, politics. I'm still in the process of moving out of sort of the, the metaphors and yeah, because interestingly, you were working during more than 10 years on more sense socially engaged folk, uh, like topics, so to say, or socially engaged art. Um, what, what brought you to change your focus to plants? I think I sense my own stupidity in not knowing much about the 99.99% of life. You know, I, you know, I did a work, it's called You Are the 0.01%. It's based on a science article saying that humans only account for 0.01% of the total biomass on this planet. I think I spend the first 30 some years of my own life, looking at the 0.01% of life on this planet. Um, so I think it's, you know, I I'm, I'm only have maybe 50, at most 50 years to live, so I better learn about what's happening um, to the other 99.99%. But I still the impression uh, in some of your work, in Taipei for instance, that you were Choo choosing like uh, specific sites and that site specificity uh, played an important role in your work, maybe connecting back to human politics. Is it 
uh, also something that you are doing, mixing still this kind of two realms, two or two realms. I think that, you know, I'm still, uh, I'm still a human. So I still have like 30 some years of experience uh, working with communities. Um, you know, I'm still reading human newspapers and talking to humans like you. Um, so I think I'm, I'm trying to learn more about other beings. Um, but of course, my own, you know, my, my own existence and also ex the existence of other humans are still present. I think it's inevitable that as a human, as a homo sapien, I'm approaching other beings with my own limitations and my own abilities to perceive things and to formulate ideas in in some form that I can un understand. Um, so I think I, it, it's inevitable that the the human aspect will be present. But in this sense, though, for you, how might art spur social change? Are there specific ways of addressing social issues through artistic practices which might influence human behavior and, and foster, foster systemic transformation? I think early on when I was more working with communities, I was very much interested in art as a form of social conversation and potentially making an impact um, in a relatively short time frame. I think as I get older and you know I'm working with plants mainly now, I think the social change I imagine will take a much longer time. It's less immediate. Um, you know, just like I said, if I, so the kind of change I'm trying to address now is when we look at trees, do we see trees as political beings? So this kind of changing our mind is something that I'm focusing on, rather than saying, bringing the voice of migrant workers to a public space. When we, we had like this uh, our first conversation um, for this exhibition uh, in, in Lausanne, then you, you were like um, you were telling me about knowledge and about your, your vision uh, of knowledge in Western countries, but also in former like mainland China. Could you maybe um, draw a bit on that? Mm -hmm. You, you mentioned um, classification of plants. So I do, I, I've done a workshop, a small workshop uh, for several times uh, in Hong Kong and also here, I take people to draw weeds in the city. And I, it's a silent workshop so we, we walk in silence and then if we see some weeds we want to draw we sit down to draw the weeds we don't talk and I also ask people who join the workshop try not to ask the name of the plant 
because I feel in our time now with the Google uh, culture, the first thing we ask usually is the name of the plant. And also tend to be the last thing we want to know about the plant. So knowledge becomes sort of a hindrance to our relations with other beings. I think knowing, of course, I'm talking to scientists and, you know, like I said, many of the things they have learned are fascinating for me. But I think all the scientists that I've met and also here and before, they all know science is also about what we want to know. Science is what we want to look for. So, for example, if we start to ask whether plants practice politics, I'm sure we will learn something. But if we don't ask that question, we will never know. And many people have written um, the limitation of so-called modern, modern science. I think it kind of goes back to the very first thing we talked about is this sort of distance and objectivity of not getting involved. I had also this question about like this, this difference between knowledge and wisdom. You, yes. were, like, uh, you were speaking about like uh, a previous acceptation of the word knowledge as wisdom. And could you maybe explain a bit this, this difference of perspective and the evolution maybe of the, the world knowledge uh, through the Western influence in China? Yeah, in Chinese, knowledge is zhishi and wisdom is zhihui. I think we had the Chinese term for wisdom much earlier than knowledge. I think knowledge, this translation came quite late after we got exposed to modern science from Europe. I think the word wisdom probably was very much influenced by uh, Buddhism when it came to China. To me, this, you know, there are many, you know, I, maybe I can start with like very, very basic I often feel knowledge is something that we just acquire without putting into practice. So if I, I often say now I don't tell people this plan, you can use it to, to, to do something because often people just acquire that piece of knowledge as if it's a piece of property, but they actually never really use the knowledge. They never put it into practice. I think I, I see that very common nowadays. I think there's an overzealous passion for knowledge. I mean, in the art world, people use knowledge production all the time rather than wisdom production or with wisdom making rather than pr production. So that's one very basic difference in my mind. Also, I, to me, I think wisdom is something much more condensed. So this came out of a conversation with a marine biologist in Hong Kong. I think I mentioned this last time. So it's all, almost like wisdom, we can see it as DNA in the, um, in the biological sense. When something has been really important, essential to our life, we condense it. And it also needs to be so condensed so it can be uh, replicated and spread widely. I think knowledge is something much more uh, temporary. 
So it could be one generation um, that we may not inherit. But but uh, but interestingly, you are speaking about the this David Becker, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, he was um, I, I remember that he was um, um, so speaking about the DNA and also about transforming the DNA, mm -hmm. like a, as a human-made uh, intervention, right? Mm -hmm. And and that could be a solution, or like people see that as a solution also to solve mm -hmm. some ecological problems. Uh, I would like to ask you um, how, what is your, your position about like those geoengineering uh, solutions? I think I'm a Taoist. So I mentioned that in terms of biomass, we account for 0.01% of the total biomass on this planet. I think in terms of wisdom, probably, we only have the same portion of, you know, we probably only have like 0.01% of the wisdom on this planet. So I think whatever we are doing, or we are so excited about now, is actually within that 0.01%. The problem actually is not so much that we know so little, I think. I think the problem is the attitude that we have developed after enlightenment, that we believe we know a lot. And even if we don't, we are confident of our actions. I think this is this is something I'm thinking actually this week. How do I really become more humble when I'm with plants? I think I now see this fallacy, but I often feel I need to really change my own mindset and my attitude before something can come out in my artwork. So if I don't change, then my work won't change. I think it thinks a lot. Thank you for listening to Unraveled, the artwork podcast. You can find details and images of all of the pieces we have discussed today as well as a larger transcription of this interview on our website art-verk.ch. I would like to thank Christina Huber for the editing of this installment and Sofia Dushovny for the copy editing. This podcast is hosted by Philippe Indal and myself and produced by Artwerk.